Hello, my name is Dustin Hosseini, and this is the Digital Education Practices Podcast. Today I'm joined by Emma Watton and Randall Zindler, colleagues in the management school. Uh, Emma, would you like to introduce yourself first? Hi, Dustin. Yep, my name's Emma Watton. I'm the program director of the Executive MBA in the management school. Um, it's a blended program and it's delivered in the UK, in Ghana, and also in Malaysia. Thank you very much. And Randall? I'm Randall Zindler, and I'm with Lancaster University Management School in the Department of Entrepreneurship and Strategy, focusing on design and delivery of modules and programs uh, around governance, strategy, and leadership. Okay, and I think today we were going to talk about hopes and fears and opportunities for the future uh, in terms of blended and online learning. And you had a story to tell about something from the past, which still relates to today. So um, perhaps, I don't know, Randall or Emma, who wants to go first? Yeah, maybe I'll kick away. Uh, I'm sure Randall can join in. Um, So yeah, it's an experience that Randall and I had um, about five years ago now. We were looking at um, making a a programme fit for online, both in terms of an academic experience and also a student experience. So we were keen to explore the pedagogy of the programme in an online setting. And so in a sense, that's what the the challenge for us was, um, to get a programme up and running in a short space of time and to um, think about the pedagogy of the program. And Emma, just to yeah, build on that, can you just say a little bit more, and I'm happy to build in and bring bring uh, some thoughts as I, as I can recall them, but on, the, on the, who the profile of our students were, how many we had, and where were they spread out across the globe? Yeah, sure. So it was a it was a small cohort of students. Um, I think we had about uh, eighteen, if I remember rightly. Um, they were geographically spread. So on the one extreme, we had a student in Trinidad, and on the other extreme, we had a student in Australia. So in terms of perhaps you know finding time zones that were suitable for everyone, you know, also thinking about the difference between perhaps recorded sessions that we might do and live stream sessions, things like Moodle forum discussions. Um, you know, we had a real blend of, of different different components of the program. And I think the other challenge for us was as a department, it was a fairly small department at the time, but as a department, very few of us, I think two of us out of the 10 had experience of delivering online learning. And so that was the real challenge. How could we as a group become better at that in, in, in a relatively short space of time? And Randall, I know you joined us around that time. And so you would have been thrown into that at the deep end, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And I I think um, building a little bit more on the who, so that that was the students, um, the profile of the students and where they were based, geography and time zones and so forth. But also um, uh, we we as the design team and academics and professional services staff, we were all in the UK or I would say UK based, but often um, similar today, uh, home working. So so some of the recordings and video sessions and so we would have done from our offices or homes. In fact, I'm international, so I'm outside of that. But we were the collaborative team was basically uh, coming right out of uh, the management school. And we had a whole variety of meetings. And I think your point, I think, is part of how we address some of those concerns or in some cases, worries or fears. Uh, because we did that together, often face-to-face, sometimes collaboratively. And I suppose we'll want to talk a little bit more around how we then did that. You know, what sort of conversations did we have and over what space of time and what some of the 
the outputs um, of those meetings. But maybe, Dustin, you want to take us in, a, in that direction or a different direction? Yes, actually, just for the audience's sake, you mentioned academic and professional services staff. Obviously, we might at the Lancaster know what that means, but what does that mean uh, You know, in actuality? Who are the academics? Who are the professional services in terms of roles? So we have people that were uh, very much involved in the delivery of content based on their research, based on the design of the pedagogy throughout the program and their area of expertise and what they'd been teaching before in face-to-face traditional sessions. But maybe, Emma, you want to bring in a little bit more perhaps of some of the other um, very necessary colleagues that were not part of the design and the delivery of, of of content, but how we did it and the way that we did it and the design around that. Yeah, thanks, Randall. So we were very fortunate with this program in that we had in the department a colleague called uh, Vivian Hodgson, and Vivian's area is network learning. Um, so we were very much able to draw on her experience from a pedagogy point of view. Um, we also drew on my experience of having worked on an online MBA in the past, both as a member of staff and also formally as a student. Um, so that was quite a useful insight. We were also very fortunate in that we had members of the department that were very keen to develop their online uh, learning and teaching skills. And so in that sense, they were quite willing to experiment to a certain extent. We drew very much on the support of colleagues around the university learning technologists. So we had a couple of members of staff there that could help us with things like some of the additional functionality uh, with things such as Moodle polls and using some online quizzes and that type of thing. The support of the library for creating things like electronic reading lists um, that made things like that easier. Also, of course, not to get that initially we did have the students on campus uh, to begin with um, for an induction and during that induction we hit all sorts of problems around for example we had students who worked uh, for the NHS and so their firewalls prevented their computers accessing some of the materials that we were using. Those days we were using Skype for business as one of the methods of engaging um, in real time and so we needed to also draw on people such as ISS to help resolve some of those access issues and so in a sense you know um, you have to take fairly small steps to begin with to get everyone um, along that journey with you both uh, staff and students so that you can then make that transition to to fully teaching and learning online. And um, just to jump in quickly so it was a very collaborative effort researchers academics learning technologists, subject librarians, and of course, IT services. Now, obviously, this was a big endeavor, especially, what, five years ago, you said? Yeah, yeah. that's right. So five years is a long time in the world of technology. Things have moved on. What were the fears at that time, especially some that might still apply to uh, today? Yeah, I think for s- several people, it was that fear of technology. I remember at the time, I think we were using Panopto as a sort of lecture capture system to create recordings. Some people felt that recordings needed to be quite professionally done, you know, edited and, and with green screens and things like that. And in an ideal world, yes, that would be wonderful. But as Randall mentioned, for many of us, actually, 
We were just creating recordings at home, uh, perhaps in our home offices or in our living rooms. And I think in the main, actually, students were quite forgiving in that these were things that weren't um, being professionally created. Um, There was quite a humanistic side. You know, I can remember doing a recording and the postman knocked at the door because I was at home. Another, Another one where my dog started barking in the background. Yes, you could edit those things out. But in a sense, I think there's a sort of authenticity and a and a sort of, you know, um, perhaps reality. And I think if there's one thing that's happened in recent weeks with uh, the COVID situation, it's that if if you are watching, could be something on the news or something on a, in a workplace setting, there are things going on in the background. You know, there might be children being homeschooled or, you know, whatever else it might be. And so in a sense, I think that um, students, that's also their reality at the moment. Um, so I think, you know, the ideal thing of wanting a professional recording, you know, maybe isn't as, as high up as we might think it is. I think one thing is to have some confidence in creating content, creating interesting content that students will want to listen to, and perhaps breaking things down into more bite-sized, shorter sessions than we might have traditionally done. You know, the notion of perhaps taking an hour-long lecture and creating a recording out of that. I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that probably doesn't work that well. They're different ways of learning. And I think as um, educators, we need to think through how we can make things accessible for students in a variety of forms. So, you know, perhaps having a theme for a week, for example, or creating things like reading groups with smaller sets of students or virtual action learning sets, which was one of the things we did on the programme that Randall and I worked on. And there's different ways that you can perhaps present learning for students. And I think that was one of the things that we did experiment with. And Randall, you might want to say a bit more about some of the modules that you were involved with. Yeah, part of it was uh, understanding uh, as we built those modules, really looking in the mirror and where is my, where are my fears? Do I have fears? Are they, are they worries? Are they concerns? Is it panic? What, what level of fear is it? And you may have heard the acronym that fear um, stands for uh, false evidence appearing real, you know, and are these then make-believe issues or are they real issues? And so I, I have to say that, that you know, I, I address or lean into some of these issues wondering, you know, is there going to be a major drop in quality but then I realized, you know, um, just because it's face to face doesn't mean it's amazing. And then, uh, you know, the polar view of that would be then online must, you know, tends to be uh, not as good or there's a drop in quality. But in fact, there can be also very mediocre or horrible face to face sessions uh, um, as well and amazing um, online experiences. So I think um, just putting some of these, I guess, false beliefs to rest uh, was part of my own journey. Um, another one, and I would say maybe this was one of the bigger ones, was, and this this comes to the very practical uh, aspect of how we ran things in the module using chat a lot and postings and conversation around that. I thought that would become time consuming. So I did have fear, maybe even trepidation, thinking we are designing this before, you know, this is going to kick off in a month or so, and we're designing this in a way that is going to have me glued to my inbox to be able to respond to all the issues that we're raising and creating conversation on. 
Um, so I did have that fear. Now, how that played out was, was a different story. And maybe that's part of the story that we'll, we'll get to in, in a minute or two. But I did have some first. And then maybe another one on, on the fear was um, real apprehension. This was not, this was a little bit from me, but I was already used to, I, was, I would say I was an early adopter with embracing new technology. And so it wasn't a, a big issue with me, but I think some colleagues would be more concerned around, oh, another piece of technology. And it was probably not that different from when we went from the typewriter to the to the you know to the computer, and we 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 can kind of have a grip on what we're comfortable with and what we know, and it's it's hard to make change. So I had some of that because we were embracing some new technologies, and I think we all have different degrees of comfort in in that process. So that would be probably time, uh, technology, and quality would be areas of fear that came out either myself or those around me. I may have diverted from the question. Uh, but it, I think it, I think it feeds in a little bit then how this played out into into the modules. Well, I, let me go back to you. Maybe that triggered anything else in, in yourself, Emma. Yeah, I think one of my other reflections is around keeping the content relatively simple. You know, we perhaps got to remember that um, there's different levels of connectivity uh, if students are accessing at different parts of the world. So whilst we might want to have a very swish, swanky recording, actually keeping things, you know, relatively light in terms of perhaps um, size of files or having PowerPoint slides as well as audio, um, those are some of the things that can mean uh, students can access it more easily. I think as well, having um, opportunity playing to different learning preferences so having some things as a forum post and a chat and a discussion that way, as well as having live stream sessions, I think, um, you know, that variety is useful. I think the other fear that we sometimes forget is that the students themselves might have similar fears to us. So for a lot of the students on that program five years ago, this was the first time they'd been accessing some of this technology. So like us, they they were unsure how to use it. Um, they got frustrated if they couldn't get on straight away. So, you know, there's a, a learning from both sides, I think, in terms of uh, using some of the functionality and, and getting the most out of it. I think the word grace comes in. So I think back um, in some of those real sessions that we were in, uh, there was a lot of grace. And I think it forced us to be quite clear um, in our communication about the, the learning journey. So how we posted things on Moodle, the uh, time commitments, the time um, you know, due dates and so forth. We had to really think through that, maybe even more so, and maybe even with higher quality than in a, in a course where um, you, can, you can quickly come back with a question and say, I wasn't quite sure about that due date, and you can clarify that. Well, that's if, if, if you're interacting with people all over the world, the next time you might connect with them might be in a couple of days. So you really want to get it really right. And I think it probably helped us to think through that more clearly. I would also agree with simplicity. So um, shorter is usually better than longer. And to be clear and concise, we use chat more, so it's shorter um, thoughts. And also then reflection. I think and maybe I'll, I'll just... And on that point, which is, as I recall, we did have a lot of storytelling, which enabled people to extract the learnings as they reflect back on a situation and then share that in, 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 with others, which then um, bleeds into um, what came out of the experience, which is a whole lot of peer learning and peer engagement across the whole student um, Cohort. And one thing I wanted to kind of ask about and touch upon, we talked about the fears a bit and the historic context and the content and how it 
you know, it's best to break it down into smaller chunks and to consider connectivity. What about approaches to teaching pedagogy? Where was that in all of this process back then five years ago? and maybe up to now. Yeah, so one of the desires at the outset was um, the previous iteration of the programme had been a very much ad hoc approach. So each tutor did their own thing. Um, The Moodle pages all looked a little bit different. And one of the things we decided when we set about redesigning the programme was to have a flexible framework. And I've heard people describe this as um, loose tight or tight loose. Um, But essentially, we had a framework which meant that individual tutors could still um, put their own style to a module. But from a student experience point of view, they had a consistency. There was a a regular rhythm and pattern to the length of modules, how many uh, tutorials there might be, uh, how many live stream sessions each week, how much reading they'd need to do. So we were able to sort of um, play to the the strengths of the tutors whilst recognizing that for students it was very important that they, that they did get a sense of rhythm and pattern um, and I think that was one of the other key learns for me which I still use now when I'm thinking about designing a program with an online component having that consistency with a variety of tutors but a consistency across the modules I think is really important. There were principles that came out um, if you remember Emma um, leading into the design, so quite early on, we developed a, a pedagogical framework that really um, identified the, the principles that we would be applying. Now, these could be applied in traditional classroom setting as well, but we we did specifically lay these out and discuss through them and put meaning to them to enable us to 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 deliver in this online way. And so, one, we see it more as learning, not teaching. We see it as a learning community. Uh, we are very curious and critically reflective along the way. Uh, So something around relevance, so really theory and practice together, but really in a a very um, relevant way. We see this as a place of reflecting and acting. And bear in mind, this this is with practicing managers, the student cohort. The the context is very relevant, therefore, in their workplace. And then we're using work, you know, cases and so forth from work, and we're not making work. So those were some of the principles that we... we, um, set uh, before us to to guide us as we design things. Yeah. And just building on that, Randall, I think one of the other principles that we adopted, which again, I I try and use if I can moving forward, is we had a a team. So each module had two tutors um, and we split the workload between those two tutors. That might sound a little bit strange, but the reason we did that was recognizing that for the students dispersed around the world, they would be responding to uh, posts or emailing queries, probably during the evening and weekends. And by splitting the workload between two people, we could divide up, okay, you'll take the lead for this week, I'll cover this weekend. And so we were able to sort of share that um, responsiveness, which obviously for online is really important. We're able to share that with another person. And that other person also acts as a sort of challenger. So we could uh, question one another about, is this the right topic for this week? Or how can we get some more engagement this week? And so it just acted as a sort of, um, as a buddy for the tutor. And I think that worked really really well and obviously Randall and I you know we we taught a couple of the modules that way and in a sense that's what you're hearing I guess today in terms of of our story because it did work really well it did Emma I you know I I remember now after you since you brought it up 
the many, many sessions you and I had either live as one of us being the challenger and supporting the other or that tag team across um, days, you know, in, um, responding to texts and, and, and mails and chats and so forth that would come through. I think the key word in there that it is collaboration, whether it's a team of two in the way you've described, Emma, or a wider team in the design, I think a key on this is probably and also helping to alleviate fears is around collaboration and teamwork. Yes, I was just having a think about this because I started to think about praxis, but I'm not sure if this is exactly praxis, what you're talking about. It's kind of reflecting and then taking action based upon the reflections. Is that kind of what I was hearing? Yeah, I think so. It's a combination of um, that opportunity to reflect with another person, whether that's a, another student or it could be the tutor or we've brought in guest guest uh, lecturers, could be industry speakers or other academics um, into the space as well. But also that ability to translate what was being discussed into an individual student's particular context. And as Randall said, these were practicing managers. And so everybody's context was different. We had people from the public sector, we had people from the private sector, we had uh, not-for-profit. And so it was never going to be a one-size-fits-all. And what became really interesting, and I think the richness came from hearing about what the students were doing, how they took an idea and applied it and then fed back to the group. And that's where also the action learning sets became really valuable. They were able to stay with an action learning set for the duration of the program and build a very safe space with that group and share some of these outcomes. And so I think that the opportunity to critically reflect and and adapt and apply and feedback became one of the key outcomes really and we haven't really talked about the action learning sets but i just wanted to re uh, hash the context so basically this was for an executive level program but the principles of what you're saying can apply to undergraduate or postgraduate really because what you're saying is you were able to bring in a lot of different voices into this program and given the situation I guess COVID-19 is caused where we're having to work at home. We could perhaps invite in externals, speakers, for example, or experts into our own teaching, couldn't we? Because then we're suddenly not constrained by train times, plane times, and so on. Absolutely. Yeah, we had, um, I recall, um, a couple of examples just to perhaps share. So we had uh, the CEO of a construction company. Um, he did a session about how he'd applied um, a certain set of principles in in his organization and how he'd had to get the buy-in from the board. Um, That was a very interesting case study. And I just recorded that a bit like we're doing this session. I just recorded it, an interview with that person, and then I was able to share that with the students. So that was a pre-recorded example. Another example we had, and it was a visiting professor, and he had some really interesting research into the elimination of malaria, which you might not necessarily think, gosh, you know, how might that fit to a, a management school program? But that was a live stream session, and he was sharing some of his ways of interacting with different community groups and how you can access. And again, it's around collaboration and, and dialogue how you can engage people uh, from different backgrounds. And he was sharing um, that with the students. And and that being a live stream session, they were able to type in or ask questions in real time. Again, a bit like this session, we can record it. So if anyone misses it, they can play it back. So we did get a real variety of voices into the space. And I think um, when we think about learning, that's one of the great opportunities, isn't it? To hear more than just the, the tutor 
and to hear, you know, di- different voices um, uh, from the students themselves and also other speakers. In this last few moments, we've actually been talking about the opportunities that our current context has created. Uh, what other thoughts might you both have? I guess, Randall, maybe over to you. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the one of the big takeaways for our, our group that was designing that um, learning journey those years ago was that our, our role as educators would, would be changing in this different context. And that was much less about lecture and much more about orchestrating a learning journey. And that means knowing the literature, uh, choosing the right literature to be presented and then how it's presented, if it's pre-reading and then we use flip classroom or um, if it's something that we actually give some form of lecture on, but then create engagement. But it's really then how we can um, engage all in, in the journey in a way that um, brings out uh, people that may have been more quiet in a classroom setting. So I, I, you know, I would just even say that I, what I found is that there would have been people I would have expected to, in a classroom, have not contributed as much as they were able to when they were almost, you, you might say, as an equal from a personality perspective at, at their screen. And so uh, points around collaboration were huge. Uh, in that experience, so teamwork and, and partnering in many ways across the university um, and as, a, as a, a team of tutors, keeping things simple, I guess that would be a, a, a key piece. Being curious, and then maybe the last point I would, I would make on this is that asking myself the question, and I did back then, and I will do it now going forward, is in the context that I'm in, so right now it might be how, how to plan the next module in this COVID-19 time, how can I, as an educator, improve and how can I add value to the students and their learning experience? And that mean that might mean that I have to change and do things differently and embrace things that might bring me out of my comfort zone. And that's OK. OK. And what about um, what are some closing thoughts that you might have, Emma? I have some things to add, too, but I want to see what you add first. Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, just to echo uh, Randall's points, the other key learn for me is that uh, notion of consistency um, so consistency between the modules whilst allowing flexibility uh, for personalization and perhaps some of the benefits to the students uh, which I was quite surprised about admittedly it's five years ago now but for many of the students they were able to then apply the learning of online learning uh, to their own uh, work organization so whether that was uh, working in a distributed team or using technology to enable closer interaction with teams that are dispersed. Um, But the process of learning how to learn online, as well as the content, uh, was something that they took away and were able to use. Maybe now, of course, we're all facing this um, situation of of working remotely and working in distributed teams. But I do think there's an opportunity to think about which ways of working enable that. And also uh, some of the experiences that, that we might have had over recent weeks that have inhibited that and for us to think about that as a as a design principle and i guess maybe you both might agree with from what i've heard so collaboration is one of the big keys uh, a sense of maybe intellectual curiosity and then maybe along with that the willingness to take calculated risks to kind of bring action to that curiosity especially now because we've obviously sorry we've we've identified actually a few opportunities that suddenly we aren't constrained by the walls and transport, we can invite people into our teaching spaces if we wish. 
if we feel our students yeah, might that benefit. Was absolutely. Um, I was just going to say, I think there was a real good summary you made, uh, Dustin, on those three points. And that the, I guess the degree that we can succeed in, in those areas or in, in the new teaching context uh, by embracing online learning is is that is how much I can in, uh, how much I can embrace that. Do do, do I can, is it just a little bit? Do I just dabble in that, or actually can I really embrace those those points that you've made and um, take my teaching uh, to the next level and the learning of, uh, for the students to the next level as well? And I think probably the final point for me uh, to maybe add to your summary, Dustin, is uh, to not underestimate the time it takes to do this properly it, it you know it's it probably won't come a surprise to people to know that it takes more time to create the online content there is some opportunities of uh, time saving further down the line because you might be able to reuse some of the materials subsequently but initially that upfront time yeah, it really needs to be planned in and, and thought through. And unfortunately, there's not that many shortcuts. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more either. And I guess um, to close, I would say what you said is absolutely right. And also that people have support mechanisms in place. There are staff like the subject librarians, the learning technologists, academics, you know, researchers who are curious about trying new ways and new methods who are there, in a sense, to catch us when we fall, so to speak. So I think we should stress that point that we're all in this together. It's kind of getting to be hackneyed, I think, that message, but it is true. And there's a lot of people who are willing to kind of be there to support, well, they call it the online pivot, but as we'll probably soon find out, it ain't just a pivot. It'll be a bit more than that. Yeah, it's been great to share some ideas. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Dustin. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good conversation.